Welcome to the Samson Strength Coach Collective Podcast. I am joined today by Alex Richard. I'm your host, Anthony Grasso. Alex Richard is the Director of Sport Performance at DME Academy in Daytona Beach, Florida. I'm assuming it's a little warmer down there than it is up here in Connecticut today. We're actually getting snow even a little bit earlier than we had anticipated snow. So that's always cool. Um, so just kind of give you a little bit brief background on Alex, uh, bachelor's degree in health and promotion, health promotion and wellness from the university of Wisconsin at Stevens point, uh, master's degree in kinesiology and exercise science from the university of Southern Mississippi, uh, Hattiesburg, um, certifications. You are a certified training conditioning specialist through the NSCA and a USA weightlifting level one sport performance coach. Am I correct on all those? You are absolutely correct. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So, um, now, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of allow you to, to go through and just take us through your story as to, you know, where this whole thing started and kind of where it led to as you you know brought yourself to the point where you now are the director of sport performance at DME Academy. Yeah, well, thanks. First off, Ant, for having me on. Um, really excited to talk, talk shop with you today. Um, thank you, Samson, for giving me the chance to, to speak. Um, you know, when I first think about where it started, I think it's pretty typical for most strength coaches. Um, but like mine was like, I remember getting a weight set when I was like seventh or eighth grade. Like it might've even been middle school PE, like seventh grade. I think we did PE class and like the PE teacher checks in the weight room. And like, this is a route I know a lot of strength coaches have. Like there's that just like, we love the feeling of lifting weights. Maybe it's our muscles burning. I don't know what it is, but like, I loved it from the first time I did a bench press. And like, that's usually the first love for a lot of males. And I think it was like middle school PE. And then I encouraged my parents to get a weight set. I mean, I remember like seventh, eighth grade. I was playing football and basketball at the time. Those were my two sports. Um, but like, I, I remember, I mean, I was decently strong in seventh or eighth grader. I mean, I remember messaging my buddy. I think it was MySpace Messenger because he had a weight set. He lived across the street. And we'd message each other, oh, I benched, you know, 135 for five or 155 for five, something like that. But like, I was, you know, destined to be, you know, kind of the more meathead type. And then through high school, obviously, I went to a small school, River Valley High School in Springfield, Wisconsin. You know, we only had like 500 kids. So small school, uh, a lot of times the football coaches kind of ran the weight room um, or the PE staff. And, you know, they, they did a great job. I mean, obviously, as we know, most high schools don't have access to a certified strength coach, but they were trying to pick and pull as much stuff as they could. Um, obviously love that process. I'm not going to sit here and say it was great. You know, knowing what I know now wasn't like perfectly structured or what I would do with a high school weight room, but they did their best. It's very grateful for them, but love that process. I remember like they even had the P90X videos. I would go in on my own and do those. So just kind of going through all those realms of fitness and lifting. Um, you know, I was a pretty good basketball player, pretty good football player. Basketball was really my main sport. Played the whole AAU scene um, and was fortunate enough to get a chance to play at Wisconsin Stevens Point, as you mentioned. Um, that's where I got my undergrad. Uh, Division three is very unique in Wisconsin. I, I want to say that because a lot of people think Division three and they're like, oh, it's just, you know, try hard. They're barely better than high school, but that is complete BS. If you are a Division three athlete in Wisconsin in the WIAC conference, which is the best Division three conference, I say that with confidence. And that's more just kind of a geographic region deal because Wisconsin has four Division one schools, I think one Division two school, and then it's a really good Division three conference. Um, so, at the time, I mean, Wisconsin Stevens Point since the year 2000 is the only school that's won four national championships. I was fortunate to be part of one of them, um, which was the most recent one in 2015. Um, we were really close my junior year. That was probably our best team we had. We had Division One kids transfer in. I mean, this is a public Division Three school. So you had kids transfer in 
from Division One schools on scholarship. You get no scholarships at Division Three, and again, that kind of feeds into that. It's a try hard level. You got to really love it, and it makes sense. You know, you're 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 going to maximize everything, right? That makes sense why those people become coaches. A lot of coaches are, you know, people that played at smaller schools, but I want to emphasize, like, I, I was a good basketball player. I mean, I was on the best team in division three basketball. There's 350 schools and we won. My last game was in Salem, Virginia. We won the national championship. Um, you know, I was the leading scorer on that team. I got some buddies that'll probably be a little, you know, salty about that. I wasn't like, I couldn't create for myself, but I was good at you know, finding a way to finish around the hoop. And I had, we had really good guards on our team that were able to create for me. Um, I, I would definitely 100% say I was not the most skilled player on our team, um, but I was, you know, I was pretty athletic and I was surrounded by good guards. So I did, you know, I was our leading scorer, but yeah, our phenomenal experience. And I think that's important as we touch on other topics. Um, my perspective on that, you know, I was part of a, a national championship team at the division three level, which resources aren't even close at the division three level compared to the division one. Um, but, you know, I'm super thankful and grateful for Coach Bob Semling and Kent Dernbach, who is now the head coach at UW Lacrosse. They are phenomenal coaches. Um, some of the best coaches are at that lower level. And that's because they have less resources that it's, it's they, they think it's a crutch, but it's really actually not a crutch. It helps develop you in multiple areas. And we could touch on that with some of the resources Division One have. They almost have too many people, but loved, you know, lifting weights all through college, um, you know, I think as most strength coaches, we definitely did see an improvement in our athleticism from the weight room. I mean, we squeezed as much as we could out. Um, I really saw myself, you know, improve. I think it was like between my sophomore and junior year um, when I really found good athletic performance training, which because Steven's point, they had a strength coach, but he was kind of a football coach. Um, so it wasn't really, we didn't have a structured strength program, which might've been a benefit um, actually looking back on it. But there was a local sports performance gym called NTS Athletic Development um, in town, and I started volunteering there and actually got hired on part-time. Um, Kevin Ebel was kind of my first um, mentor in the field. He was, you know, Olympic strength coach for like the, I think there's U.S. Olympic women's hockey team, and he had his own athletic performance gym in Stevens Point. So, like I said, there wasn't really a structured strength department, so I kind of reached out when I had free time to go over there. And that was kind of my first in in the field. Um, when I finished up playing at Stevens Point, finished my undergrad, and I, I knew I wanted to be a college strength coach. So I followed kind of the classic route. Um, did an internship at the University of Wisconsin, uh, Big Ten football. That was awesome. Did a summer internship there. Um, June, I think it was June through. Like I stayed on a little later till September. Um, was fortunate enough to kind of get some um, good recommendations there for a GA position at Southern Miss. So I went down or moved to Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And I think it was June or July of 2016. I was a GA for one year working football. Um, then I had men's women's tennis picked up women's soccer, I think after the first semester. And then fortunate enough, our men's basketball position opened at Southern Miss. And I think I was doing a pretty good job um, as a GA. And I was fortunate enough to kind of slide into that role and spent four years um, in charge of men's basketball and women's soccer were my main teams. Had a little small stint with women's basketball, a um, little bit with women's volleyball, but the main sports that I spent the most time as a college strength coach working with were men's basketball and women's soccer um, until actually this past May, uh, May of 21, my fiance Ariel got a phenomenal opportunity in Daytona Beach, Florida. Um, so we moved over here and I got really lucky. I, I got to be honest. I mean, DME Academy has been a gold mine for me. I think it's a perfect fit. It's a small prep school, 120 kids, um, which are pretty much all basketball players. We're trying to add other sports right now. Um, we got eight basketball teams. 
a uh, few soccer athletes, few baseball athletes, but high school level, um, we've got an awesome facility, way better than I had at the division one level, two full NBA size courts, weight room right next to it. Um, we've got 120 great kids. Um, so I'm, I've been lucky enough to kind of roll, slide into a director of sports performance role there, um, which I've been in since May. So that's a really long winded uh, intro, but wanted to touch on some important points because I'm sure we're going to get, get into it later, just kind of about my Division three background. But I wasn't just the Division three tryhard that wasn't any good. Like, I I mean, I think that's my little, I guess that's my little cockiness or break. I at least won. You know, there's a lot of guys, oh, I played Division three, could have played. No, like I actually won. Like my last game was walking off the court with a win. So that's my uh, that's my one uh, little cocky break I'll have. Yeah, long winded intro. No, that's awesome. That's a, that's a great intro. And I think it's important. You outline a few very important things, obviously the resources and how they're different at different levels. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of what we're going to talk about today, well, it'll all make sense. I think the people listening, when they see where, what your experience has led to and kind of the lens that you look through now, um, based off of your experience at multiple levels or division one, division two, II, division three, high school, whatever the case may be. So, um, no, I'm, I'm really glad. And, and we, we believe you now. We believe you that you were a Division Three All Star. I, I will make sure that everybody, <laughs> the word is out, and 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 it's, yeah, it's uh, yeah. that everyone, everybody needs to be reminded. You know, it's been six years. You, I haven't had the you know, good dopamine feeling, so blast that out again. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're going to make sure that this is, this is cemented in stone. So um, again, yeah, that's awesome. And I think what I wanted to outline today, so obviously this will be a little bit more basketball oriented. Uh, obviously, as you mentioned, uh, the you know the school prep school, 120 kids. Most of them are basketball players. Um, and what I kind of wanted to also create as a theme before we get into everything for everybody listening is this whole idea of viewing physical preparation as that five to 10% lens when you are kind of going through and deciding preparation plans for team sport athletes, right? Uh, the physical realm, how much of an impact can that truly have on these sport outcomes for team sport athletes in comparison to weightlifting disciplines or, you know, stopwatch sports, whatever the case is. Um, speci speaking specifically about team sport athletes, if you wouldn't mind kind of take us through these five categories that you've come up with for the basketball program, the speed, power, strength, agility, and conditioning, and kind of take us through what this whole, what do you mean when you say that physical preparation is, you know, five to 10% for that team sport athlete uh, with the hopes. And, and I'll put this out there now, and then I'll let you go. Um, by the end of this conversation, we're going to try to provide the audience with some ways and, and some strategies to get to maybe 20 to 30%. Uh, so, yeah. So take us through that, those categories and, and kind of what you, what you mean when you talk about this five to 10% lens. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, first off, the five to 10%, we're going to repeat that a lot. That's important um, to really distinguish and knock down right away because that it doesn't come out right away as an early strength coach. And it goes back to even when I was talking when I was seventh, eighth grader, like there's definitely strength coaches. We have an emotional bias or tie, you know, some type of connection to the weights, right? And that we love it. It's our passion. So it's very easy when you start off as a strength coach to think that lifting weights for team sport athletes, we're talking basketball, soccer, Let's throw football in there. Let's throw volleyball, you know, four team sports there. We really believe, you know, that the weight room probably contributes more than it actually does. I think part of that is because you just, you have that emotional tie. Like it's, it's something that's ingrained in your DNA and you love it so much that we like, we, we attract to this profession where we try to get others to love it that much. And it takes a while. I think 
first few years of strength coach, you really don't see the five to ten percent lens. And it really took me kind of, you know, going to the visual level and being surrounded by a lot of a very gifted natural athletes. And they really didn't care about the weight room and they didn't, you know, they might not perform well in the weight room. Like shoot me, I can, you know, power clean 315, cool. Like, but they can't do that. Like, but they still, if I played them one-on-one, they'd destroy me. Like, so it's just, you, you start to see that and then you get surrounded by good people. And I am the 100% truthful. I steal. I mean, as all good strength coaches do, we steal from other coaches. There's some really good coaches. I mean, jump science, uh, Daniel Bach, Jake Tura. I mean, obviously Joel Smith, just like the Kyle Dobbs compound performance. I mean, I've learned so much just from the content those people post and what I, you know, like that's what really molded me into this five to 10% lens, percent lens is stealing the ideas from them because they're, they have, they're brilliant concepts. And that's when I really started to develop in my head and zoom out and say, yeah, man, like the weight room, the strength conditioning side really is only five to 10% of the pie. If your goal is to win, you know, a five on five basketball game, an 11 v 11 soccer game or football game, uh, volleyball, shoot, is it six weeks? I don't even know. Volleyball. I should know, but however many people are on the, on the court, I mean, the goal is to win the game, right? So if you're going to have those conversations and I would challenge anybody on this to think that the weight room lifting weights with this strength coach figure is more than five to 10% of that pie. I just, I think you're crazy. Now we could really get, you know, dialed into individual differences. There's definitely some people, and this is obviously me too. I was kind of an underdeveloped athlete. There's definitely some people that are probably in the, maybe the 15 to 20% category of physical development could be the limiting factor for, you know, them performing on the court. But on the flip side, and I have a few of these at DME, I mean, we got a kid that's a 46 inch vertical trap bar three times his body weight. The physical side might be, I think he's maxed out. And whatever that means, I know that's kind of like a dicey area to talk about, but like maybe he should spend more of his pie doing extra skill work instead of lifting three times a week. Maybe he should only lift once a week. Like, so that, but then again, that's really tricky to, you know, people talk about those concepts, but they usually aren't implementing that with eight basketball teams at one time. Like, what are you going to have? You know, Miles goes over there and does a skill work on the rest of the guys are lifting. Can you imagine being the strength coach? Like, well, why does he not have to lift? Like, that's very nuanced. So I think that's important to distinguish. Like, it's not like I'm saying that some athletes can't benefit because there's, and I've said this before, like if you have a 20 inch vertical and you're 160 pounds and you're really skilled, I do believe getting your trap bar stronger, your front squat, your bench press, you know, exposed to max velocity sprinting, um, just a good progressive overload program, nothing complex there can help you, you know, and showing that we're trying to raise those outputs a little bit. And I think it starts with, you know, obviously measuring outputs. I measure outputs and all, I mean, I think most strength coaches, I mean, you have to measure outputs. Like, what are you going to do? I mean, some people are against testing. I'm not against testing. Like I, of course, do vertical jump with basketball. I do are the NBA lane agility, the three quarter court sprint. You know, I trap bar them very frequently. We do bench press. Like those are my main outputs. Cause I can, they, they paint a pretty clear picture. It's not always the perfect picture, but like the guy that has really good scores and all his outputs is probably pretty physically developed. Like, and now watching them play, you can kind of have those conversations of, does he need more tactical, technical work, or is it more physical? But that's really, you know, trying to get into, that's the lens I see it through. So that's important, five to 10%. So when you're talking basketball players, um, even at division one, I pretty much treated them like year round basketball players. If you're in division one basketball, May and August are generally the only months that they're not doing super structured work, but Hoopers are going to play year round. Like the guys would go home for three weeks, but they're going to find runs 
in the local town. Like they're going to pe- keep playing five on five. It's not like real basketball players don't just stop playing. So they're playing year round. And that is an important piece to what shapes my five physical categories, which are the strength, the power, speed, conditioning, and agility. Cause some people are really going to challenge me on the conditioning and agility, but like, I'll challenge them back. If you're playing basketball year round, I think the conditioning bucket is already overfilled and the agility bucket is overfilled. And I get some of the arguments about the agility, you know, starting with clothes for early athletes. But I, I, I'm at the point where I just think it's complete garbage. Like if they're playing basketball year round, that is the best, most specific agility and conditioning. Obviously, if you're playing basketball year round, that's the most specific conditioning. And the tricky part is sometimes you will get in situations where you work for a coach that's going to demand that. So you have to, you know, kind of play the game. And you obviously we work for at the college level, you work for sport coaches. I mean, even at the high school, level, I still work for an athletic director. I have an owner. They're a little bit easy, wait, not a little bit. They are way easier than the craziness at the college level. I'll just say that how it is. Um, they aren't nearly as you know ridiculous with some of their stuff. So I really get to kind of dictate my realm, but yeah, those categories, the strength, the uh, speed and power, I'd say I really focus on those three the most with basketball players. Cause those are, you know, that's the year round. And to me, those are the three buckets that aren't filled for, for a basketball player. And like I said, this is my approach to high school, but I did the same approach with our division basketball players at Southern Miss. Um, I really didn't tackle the agility in the conditioning bucket to, you know, to, I wasn't very intense on those, those buckets. So let's just say it that way. Um, but the strength bucket, I mean, obviously that's just a good, well-rounded program, squat, hinge, push, pull, carry, you know, you got your core. I like breaking it down in categories. I think that's just kind of the strength coaching as we like to categorize and box stuff, but that you have to have a framework of some foundation and, you know, you can start with those categories and then break it down from the most intense to the least intense. Um, but one area I think I'm pretty solid and I think good strength coaches are solid in this in the weight room is having options within those categories. So if we're talking about the squat category, say a double leg squat, obviously we know we got front squat, back squat, you got a Hatfield squat. Like I, I would even throw the the single leg options in there, dumbbell, rear foot, elevated, split, dumbbell, rear foot, elevated, split squat, a safety bar, reverse lunge, split squat. It's still the squat category. Like let's not get too crazy with those details. And anybody who's working basketball, you're going to see a lot of different personalities. Different guys are going to orient to different exercises. Don't get caught up in all that. I mean, you sometimes you're going to have to, you know, put your foot down and encourage them towards maybe a little better variation. But if an athlete has found a variation within that category that they enjoy, like progress it, track it, progress it, you know, encourage them to keep going up, like, and understand there's going to be waves day to day. These kids are playing basketball year round. They're not going to just be able to follow a blanket you know, linear periodization scheme where, nope, you got to hit four by five at 80%. Like that is just, I'm so done with that stuff, especially in season. And we can touch on that later. But I mean, the strength category, I think most strength coaches, you know, listening are going to have a pretty good grasp on that. The power, um, I really see power in the three lens. You, know, you got Olympic lifting, you got explosive medicine while working, you got jumping. Um, with basketball players, uh, the big caveat, they're playing basketball year round. So how much jumping? I mean, I love box jumps. Some people are, you know, I think they're wimpy, but like they're just a great way to like stimulate too. Great warm up for explosive athletes. Most basketball players are elastic anyways. Like get their adrenaline and dopamine going, do box jumps. Like they're good jumpers. So you want to give them stuff that they're good at. Um, you know, I, I use lots of, you know, obviously box jump variations in the off season, which to me, the true off season for basketball, the best time to really, you know, train them is usually that March, April window because they've just finished a long season. So I will be a little more aggressive in my plyometrics there, but never crazy volumes. I mean, 
that's just ridiculous. They're playing your round anymore. And any, every time they finish playing, they're going to try working on a dunk and get the videos out. So like, why, why am I going to throw more in? But the, you're going to have to play the game because basketball players, they want to work on their vertical. So therefore they think they need to do, you know, vertimax or just crazy jumping. So how you go about channeling those conversations. Cause I have athletes all the time. Coach, can we just come in and do a jumping workout? And it's like, Oh, like you gotta, you, I'm trying to get better at it. How do I take that? You know, because they want to come get better, but try to you know, steer them towards the right direction. Um, you know, cause they want, at the end of the day, they want to get better. They want to improve the vertical, but sometimes it's not from jumping more. It's that uh, Johnny, you, you can trap bar two twenty five for 10 and you weigh one eighty five. Like I don't think you have much output. Like you have a three cylinder engine. You need a, a V eight engine. So, um, that's one thing with, with the strength side, the area with, with the power side, you know, explosive medicine ball. I think everybody knows that that's pretty simple. Like start with non-counter movement, progress to more, you know, dynamic variations. And that's such an easy, like I can have a kid that's never trained and teach them day one. I think that's where I really do choose my simple stuff. Like if I'm going to do explosive medicine ball, I mean, you have to be the worst coach in the world if you can't teach someone to do that day one. Same with a trap bar deadlift and a bench press. Like I'll fight some strength coaches on this. Like they want to do like as, their, their output measures like the trap bar is so easy to learn i mean especially when you teach it a little squatty like in a bench press like it, with a young athlete it's so easy to learn day one they can progress it and they're going to see results which is going to help them you know from a little buy-in standpoint in the weight room you know the olympic lifts again i like doing them personally love them i'm pretty good at them like i just i have not felt the, the need to use them you know i think if we're doing you know explosive medicine work and jumps like i think the power category is checked Again, if I'm working with one-on-one -on -one with an athlete, I might feel differently. And I think it's like the rule of a third. I mean, if I got 15 basketball players and we're going to, all right, guys, we're going to hang clean today. You know, hopefully I've taken them through a good block of front squats first, which blows my mind. Some strength coaches don't do front squats or overhead squats, and then they want to throw them into Olympic lifts or like just having established a foundation of vertical pressing or, you know, pull-ups. And then they want to do overhead, you know, jerks or push press, like establish some foundation first but i just again with if i have 15 guys in there five of them are going to be really good and see progress in the olympic lifts going to be good for them five of them are going to be in between i'm just going to be so locked in and coaching them and five of them like it is the you are wasting their time and you, me most strength coaches i mean i'm not the most patient person so like sometimes it's knowing yourself like i just i, I don't have a lot of patience for olympic lifts so i just know it's not a good choice for me as a strength coach working with basketball players and again i mean we talked about like do jumps do explosive medicine ball work. And then the big one, I want to get better at this. I will be 100% honest. I haven't done a good enough job is because I know the benefits of max velocity sprinting. And I think that is a untapped area in the basketball world. Most people would say, oh, the court's only 94 feet, 31 yards. Like they're always in acceleration, but you don't do it because of that. It's from the global stimulus you and I know from max velocity sprinting. The Dasher laser system is $500 or $600, the most efficient system ever. So easy to set up. It's an app on my phone and I can boom, pile out output measures, give them, you know, mile per hour measures. I want to do a better job of integrating that um, with our kids at DME. I did a look, but it just wasn't like I want, my goal is to have it in your mouth. Because like right now I'm not doing speed work, guys. I, I was able to do a little bit of it in the uh, off season, but it just wasn't what I liked. And I think some of it's logistical. Um, our courts are always being used. I mean, I do have maybe 15, 20 yards. They just don't have a long, uh, you know, a recovery zone. If we do sprints in the weight room, 
it's it's tough to set up. And I'm a big believer. If you're going to do a speed day, you need to have a great warm up. Uh, you got to create the environment. So it's tough to fit that in. If I'm jammed up with eight teams lifting in one day, you know, in hour blocks. Uh, but that's an area I want to tap into. If I was a basketball coach, and I think we've discussed this before, Anthony, I would keep one day of high intensity sprinting year round. And it would be the very, the Tony Holler approach, like rank record, like let that be that output, the number the guys are chasing. Maybe that's what some of my really athletic guys are lacking. You know, cause like I said, the guy I talked about is 46 inch vertical and, you know, three times his body weight, trap bar deadlift, you know, stupid numbers, just completely shredded. Like maybe he needs to, maybe that's like the one physical measure I can really help him improve on. But also again, I don't, I still question that too. When I say that, like people that have specific answers for those really elite people, like, Oh, you just need to do this. Like, shut up. Like you're just, you're, that's your emotional tie to the weight room and strength conditioning. They probably are just maxed out in physical and they'd probably just be better off just playing their sport and like spending all their time there. But I hope that helps, you know, just kind of touching those categories. Biggest thing, this is a basketball perspective. This would change those five categories would change if I'm working with, you know, soccer at the divisional level, lacrosse or, you know, volleyball. I might adjust some of those. Um, but I'd say the theme is still going to be there the same, especially in the weight room. I mean, is anybody really changing their, their themes on that and the categories? I, I just don't think they are. Right. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great breakdown. I really appreciate that. And I'm glad that you brought up the idea and the concept of, you know, this flexibility in the weight room, right? I obviously you said if an athlete firmly believes in their mind that they're going to get a better stimulus or some sort of output increase from, you know, say a, a hand clean and you happen to be somebody who's not particularly favor, you know, does not favor the, the hand clean. Um, might just have them do it. Like, what, like, what's the big deal? You know what I mean? It's like at the end of the day, like they believe in it. They believe that there's some sort of psychological and physical benefit to what's going on. So you probably get more out of it than them not doing or them going ahead and trying to do the movement that you want them to do uh, when they don't actually want to do it and they don't believe in it. So um, with that, I kind of wanted to lead into, you know, next the idea of, you know, you talked about you know, organizing stressors and what you'd like to do with these basketball players and how you kind of work with the coaches to, if in your ideal world, you know, put them in a situation where you are organizing these stressors in maybe a high, low sequence. Um, and, and, you know, the, the conversations you've had about, um, you know, with sport coaches about wanting to do more, speed work, just sort of for that, that global stimulus that, that you provide. I know you just touched on it a little bit, but um, you know, what, what you're actually looking for when it comes to providing them exposure to sprinting um, and kind of how you, you tie all that stuff in that, you know, you, you talk about being flexible with weights and flexible with the exercises, the auto-regulation, right? Like kind of go into, as you move now into this world where you're trying to organize these things and come up with some of the concepts that you would then implement and sort of execute these categories. Um, what, what does that look like for you specifically when it comes to, like I said, the, the, you know, the sprinting and executing all of these particular biomotor abilities um, the, you know, the, the flexibility you have when it comes to weights, when to intervene, when not to intervene. Like, I'd love to hear all of your thoughts on that. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I think starting off with the weights, you're just talking about the flexibility, you know, I think you need to know as I mean, any strength coach would know what time of the season you're, you're dealing with the athletes. If we're speaking in basketball language, I, I touched on this, but I think the best time to really, you know, you, you're going to train physical development category the most is probably going to be the March, April um, time period. That's usually somewhat of a true off season. And I say that with quotes off season for basketball, but generally the sport coaches are going to back off and maybe just do some small skill workouts, maybe 45 minutes to an hour, three to four times a week. And we're actually starting to have that conversation with some of the coaches at DME and really 
trying to, you know, hash out in my mind. So I'm kind of just going to think out loud of what I'm planning to do this off season. I think that might help your listeners, just my thought process on our off season with basketball and how I might organize, you know, some of our stressors. So all of our kids generally are going to finish their last game um, the last week in February. I think we might have one team that does a game, you know, the first week in March and then they're going to go on a little spring break. So basically the middle of March till essentially the end of April, early May, you know, we might have a six to eight week block, depending on when kids leave um, of training. And in a perfect world, I really, I struggle with the the four times a week. I just don't think it's necessary, but we do need to keep the kid. I mean, we're, we're a business, we're an academy. Like the kids, they, we can't give them too much free time. Like, as anybody knows this, a lot of times in college athletics, you just feel the kids schedule with activities because you're just trying to keep them, you know, set. Cause obviously kids are kids. They're going to get into stuff. So that's part of the, the theme with, I mean, anybody knows that, like, you're not just gonna let a kid have, you know, one hour weights, one hour of skills and the rest of the day is a free for all. You got to give them structure. We're, we're, we're coaches. we got to provide structure for the kids. So we're kind of looking at a four day model, which would obviously be a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. And we were in a coach's meeting recently and one of the coaches talked about, well, what day are we going to play five on five? And boom, that's where I hopped up. Like, that's the day I want. I tried just again, and this is tough. And cause like, I feel like I just blurted out real because I was like, boom, you know, capitalized on this. Like that's the high stress day. Like try to get them thinking that language. And I don't know if that is always efficient because you know, they're the way I see performance and, you know, good strength coaches that are at a higher level, see it. Like we see these lenses of organizing stressors. Most sport coaches don't even think in that language at all. So like they're in like an elementary education of like how they organize their week, which Sadly, let's be honest, most sport coaches don't really have a plan. They just throw spaghetti at the wall and they show up at practice. And you can tell. And that's very easy to see. And then you got strength coaches that are super organized, trying to plan stressors. So maybe it isn't even efficient talking about that just because we're in two different rooms. You got, you know, someone's working on their PhD and someone's in elementary school. And like having conversations at this level, maybe it's just we need to talk about like, we got to try to level, bring the rooms to the same level. Otherwise we're never going to agree. But I try to capitalize on that moment and say, Hey, that's the day I'm going to really get after them. Let's, let's keep it to Friday. You guys are going to play five on five. You know, that's going to be my high stress day. So when I think basketball, high stress, my three favorite, most CNS tag scenes, my true high day would be, you know, a great speed warm up, 15, 20 minutes might do some, you know, competitive, like spike ball. I call it spike box, you know, something game like, now, some days I'm going to do a rigid speed warmer, like a track warmer. You need to have days of that. I mean, it can't just always be fun and games, but you know, when I feel like it's getting monotonous, I'm going to change. And cause I really want to get adrenaline going. I want to achieve some sort of a flow state before I get them on the laser. And I'm hoping that, you know, runs me 30 minutes with warm up and a few laser sprints. And then boom, we're into the weight room. I'm going to look for my two output exercises, which are trap bar and bench press. Probably going to do bench press first. We'll do trap bar second. Um, and that would just be kind of a, a very classic APRE ish, you know, scheme. I mean, we do whatever the kids have the charts on the, the, each rack, they work up to a, a, a weight and then they're going to hit that for as many as possible. I, I love as many as possible sets in terms of the weight room and just terms of just trying to sell out and to like try to beat your number. Like, and I mean, I have crazy numbers. I had a kid that did three fifty five for 22, like, and people are, it's weird numbers, but like, I don't care. That's an output number. So then next week, Tristan, I put three sixty five down. You hit that for 22. Like just keep incrementally loading. Like you're leveling up the stress. Like it doesn't have to be five reps or three reps. Like 
I literally am super vague with that. And I, I just try to level up. Cause like if in four weeks we keep leveling up that number and they're hitting the same reps, like there's gotta be some sort of adaptations or leveling up of the organism. And obviously that would be the goal with the sprinting too. So the, the laser sprints, uh, bench press, and trap bar going to be my three main high intensity. I would love to pair those on Friday and then boom, they're either, you know, on the court with the coaches doing lots of five on five. So obviously that's a lot of intensity and volume. And we've married that on the same day. And then, uh, yeah, the kids are going to get eight hours of sleep, eat only fruits and vegetables in the weekend, right? Like, no, they're going to go home for the weekend. But like, again, if we're talking about trying to, I think, do what's best for the kids, that is a pretty good theme to send them into the weekend. And, you know, hopefully they just are kids and they recover and, they come back somewhat fresh on Monday. So Friday would be my day. I'd like to get after them. Um, back to we're talking Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. I would use Monday as really that medium day. Uh, I'm not going to expose them to a ton of output work. Um, like I was thinking about this, that might be a, a day we're going to, you know, maybe do more of a single leg variation in terms of a squatting, you know, some back work, obviously uh, as most strength coaches are going to do chin-ups or pull-ups with, their athletes, um, you know, some type of rowing activity, try not to really smash them on that day. And I think a lot of coaches have arrived on that Monday is not a good day to smash people. It's a day to kind of, you know, I mean, in the, in the high, low world, it's a great tempo day and get some, you know, like total body circuit, you know, just basically like you're keeping the stimulus at that medium level. And then hoping on Tuesday, cause I know Wednesday's an off day is going to be kind of that just a little bit notch below high intensity day. You know, so on that day, I might do maybe more of a plyometric focus um, in the in this time, which is April, you know, March, April. I'm, I'm OK with chasing, chasing some type of some type of goal oriented jump. You know, I really like, you know, people rip on them. With, oh, it's hip flexion. The jumps over the stick. I have those like soccer goals. They're, that's what they are. They're soccer goals with poles. But I have six inch marks on each of them. So like 60 inches at the top. And people get on these such nuanced debates about this stuff. But like doesn't matter. The kids love it and they like competing on it. So you're getting an output and the kids that all jumped over the 60 inch thing are all high verticals here. So shut up about your hip flexion. And like, you know, we see, you see these posts on Instagram, like all these people like look like robots jumping onto this perfect 24 inch box. Like I look at it as a problem solving activity. Like you set up a 60 inch object and it's a little like plastic stick. So if they hit it, it just falls over. But like, I love like being super vague. Like, Coach, what do you want me to do? I don't just get over it. Like that's literally all you say and let the athlete be an athlete and problem solve. And that's to me, I mean, if you're going to do jumping, do goal, goal or in a jumping. I mean, I remember the classic football, everybody hands up on a cadence, like you know, whistle and go like, that's just, I get the look of that. And I get if the football sport coach, you know, wants to see that, but you're really not like the goal should be output stuff. So like, okay, if he, if Pedro hit 60 inches, which I had a few kids next time we do that. And I obviously I'm not doing this in season. Well, we're going to go 62 inches. So I'm going to have to stack it up on plates. Like you're trying to level up, right? Like what's, what's the point of physical development? We're trying to level up the organism. So, I mean, I would choose maybe some type of goal oriented jumping. And then, I mean, maybe that's your, your day where you do, you know, RDLs or I don't know, something different. I mean, just pick your categories. But to me, I think it's most important to give you the, the framework of my most intense day is going to be laser sprints, trap bar and bench press. Those are my three output measures with basketball. My hope would be that on that day we're playing five on five because it sounds like the rest of the week on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, the coaches are going to do maybe an hour of skills with the guys. So I'm not as concerned, um, you know, with, how much volume I'm going to do in the weight room because their, their volume is going to be pulled from the court a little bit. So I, I'm probably going to, you know, 
seek a little bit higher volume early on. I mean, some basketball players can definitely benefit from some armor or hypertrophy. So I'm okay at this time of the year, putting more, you know, hypertrophy work in there or volume, I guess would be just the simple word on that. Um, because I know they're not getting as much stress from the court. Um, but cause obviously Friday, just laser sprints, trap bar and bench. Like that's a pretty, there's not a, that's intensity. There's not a lot of volume with that. I mean, on the trap bar, I might have them do four warm up sets and then boom, teammates are around them. And that, I'm trying to get better at that too, the environment. I'm so impressed with coaches that are great at creating an environment because when a kid that just isn't confident picks up the trap bar and like all his teammates surround him, it's so, I mean, we've all seen it. But like he thinks he can only do 10 and he does like 42 or something. I mean, I had a girl, Sydney Shaw, she's committed to Auburn. She did 225 for like 41. And like most strength coaches would stop it, but like, I'm not stopping that. Like it was amazing. Like she didn't even believe she could do 10, but like just that governor that our body keeps on us, right? Like we got to challenge that too. And I think that's where we can do a good job in the physical development. Like, cause the governor wants to keep all your outputs low, right? Like, no, we got to toe that line and try to get level up again. I keep saying level up, but that's what we need to do. And, but the time of the year you pick it, I'm doing that. A lot of that work in April and, and you know, March and April. And then as we move into the summer, the kids are going to go away. But then the reason I don't do a lot of that in the preseason is because when the kids come back, we follow a normal school year. The kids are going to come back in September. The coaches are going to be on them because we know we got games in November. So I, the coaches wanted to go four days and I'm glad again, I'm in a good situation where I can say, no, we're going three days. I really believe that's a good model with basketball three days in your preseason, which is usually September and October. And then once November through March hits, it's only two days a week. And then boom, season finishes, then we'll go four. So I think that's a good lens. I really do for basketball. Um, you know, you can insert your sports, but I'm really letting the sport, when the sport is most important, dictate how much physical development I do with them. Um, so does, does that paint a good picture? You know, just kind of how we organize stresses. But the biggest thing is you got to pick baby conversations to have with the sport coach. Like I thought, I think it'll be a win at DME if I can get all the coaches on board with doing five on five on Friday. And then the goal would be, you know, each year try to create a bigger theme. Like, Oh, it's big Friday or, you know, whatever clever stuff you can do. But everybody knows that it's, it's laser, it's trap bar, it's bench. And then guys are competing on the court. You know, we're marrying, let's, let's get one day locked down. I mean, getting coaches to start, start organizing like a medium, a, a medium high, like that might be a little complicated, you know, let's, let's tackle just one, one of those first from an organizing stressors. Cause strength coach, we have a really good feel for that, you know, planning high lows and all that, but also let's address this concept, you know, just because you're doing a phenomenal job planning high low in the weight room, that doesn't mean a lick because you and I talked about this yesterday, like, if the sport coach practices for three hours, like who cares what your high low scheme is in the weight room? Cause you're the five to 10%. Like that is such a small bucket compared to what a long practice or a terrible skill sessions with sideline 17s and suicides because the guys weren't making shots. Like that's going to do way more harm. So are you really, is it worth spending that much time tracking all the tonnage and all this stuff you're doing in the weight room with this beautiful Excel spreadsheet? Like if your sport coach is doing crazy stuff, like that's, that's the, that's when we, we talked to us, that's where you got to try to win him over. I mean, if you want your five to 10% role to grow, it starts with a relationship with the sport coach. And I'm not going to sit here and say, I've done a beautiful job. But like that is a, that is a mountain to climb. And I think some strength coaches are starting to 
they're, they're, they got to be a great people person first. But I think if we could maybe tackle the organizing stressors fr- framework, get them just to think in the weekly format, like, okay, this is my five on five day. This is my more skills and, you know, ball handling. That's a low day. This is more my, you know, technical, like we're going to go over plays. Okay. Well, like we know that's going to tax the CNS a little bit. So that might be a medium because we don't got the most intelligent basketball players. We got to do a lot of new sets and defenses and schemes. So I think if you can win that, you might raise up to maybe 15 or 20%, but I'm not going to sit here and say I've done it because that's not an easy mountain to climb right there. Right. Um, yeah, for sure. I, I, if you could just kind of, those are all great thoughts. If you wouldn't mind just kind of briefly taking us back through that week and just, t- uh, you know, just kind of identifying um, you know, what would happen on each of those days, just so we're clear. So like what you feel is high and what you feel is low. Cause essentially what we're talking about here is high um, CNS, high, low CNS sequencing, right? It's like we're trying to figure out ways yeah. to organize stresses within the week. So if, the, if that is the case and we're going to use the old high, low model, which is, which is a great model and, and one that I'm, you know, a huge, huge uh, advocate for. What, what does that look like? So it's like, you know, you're saying you got your five on five, you have your skills sessions, right? You have your trap bar deadlift, your time sprints and all that kind of stuff. You can just briefly just kind of like touch on what would happen Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday to kind of just bring that all full, so, full circle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause I got, I got sidetracked a little bit. So let's, let's go back to the Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. This is, March and April off-season basketball. They're going to probably do skill sessions on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday with the coaches for an hour. Might be before weights, might be after. On Friday, the goal is that they're going to all play five on five. So I'm picking Friday as my highest of high intensity. Tuesday and Thursday, or Tuesday and Friday will be my high days. I'm picking those days because I know Wednesday we're going to get them off in terms of no structured activity. Saturday and Sunday are no structured activity. So hoping that there's some sort of recovery, big quotes on that, that happens. Um, the highest of high day was Friday. I'm going to do, you know, some type of obviously great warm up, be flexible, game something to get them going, get adrenaline rolling, laser sprints. Or something timed. I mean, it can be an agility. You can do, I mean, curved. I mean, people are getting great with all that. I love the variations. Holding a medicine ball, drop, I mean, a chase, have someone behind you chase. Phenomenal. You can't just eight weeks in a row, just do a flying 10. Like that is so boring and rigid. And I want to get better that I'm a rigid person. I want to get better at being more creative. Like it's same, but different. We're still doing something timed output, but like, I mean, I'm just impressed with those coaches that can tweak that stuff and keep the same theme. Um, Laser sprint, Trap bar bench and or trap bar bench, trap bar deadlift and bench press. Those are my three. That's my highest of high days. My Tuesday, my second high day. Um, you know, I'm going to assume in a perfect world, I'd have the coaches do something. Maybe it's like three and three or four and four. It's not full, full five on five, but we're hoping that it's still a, a higher level stimulus. You know, they're not doing individual breakdown. That would be the the dream right there in the weight room. Um, you know, I think that what kind of comes fourth and fifth for me is either a front squat, which would be, you know, front squat or back. And I say this front squat, back squat, safety bar, split squat, roof, roof, elevated split squat, a squat, right? Some variation of a squat for, again, that kind of as many as possible theme, uh, one hard set. Um, I think an RDL would come really close on there. I love using the RDL as a strength exercise, take it out of the rack, of course, we're doing a flip grip. I'm looking for output here. I don't care about grip strength. I'm not going to train an RDL for grip strength. I think that's a dumb debate. Like do other exercises for grip strength, unless you're going to do hand cleans. Right. But like, it's a, such an easy exercise and it's a true hinge. Like we're talking about a true hinge. I teach the trap bar very squatty. So the most strict of strict hip hinge is an RDL and it's phenomenal. It can be a great strength builder. I mean, is it that far from a deadlift? Like if, 
you're just starting from the top down, which is way less compressive on the spine. I mean, anybody who's trained athletes knows that if you pick a straight bar off the ground, you're going to run into a lot more low back issues than if you do RDL. But still, also on that, you're going to run into low back issues whether you do trap bar and RDL and you push them. But like, how you handle that is a whole separate side conversation because that, that you're training, like you're going to have some stress. Um, so RDL and front squat or something in the squat family would be kind of my other really output. So basically, I got four weight room outputs I'm really looking at with my kids at DME. Something in the squat family, RDL, um, a bench press, and a trap bar. You know, obviously like a chin up, chin up variation, weighted chin up is going to come close, and then a some, you know, maybe a single leg would come in there. Um, but I, like my thing is, you got to pick output stuff. Like I'm not going to pick, you know, something like a goblet squat or something stupid. Like if I'm talking high days, I want something I can measure and track. And on each kid's little car, like, boom, we know that like, we're, we're, we're keeping good data on these kids. Cause I want to show progress and the kids want to see progress. So pick, like we have to sell ourselves to pick exercises, you know, that are going to be easy to progressively overload for a kid who's in puberty. Like, which I think those six are and elephant in the room, most basketball players, I'd say 90% of them can benefit from a good progressively overloaded plan. So hopefully that helps. That's Tuesday and Friday. Those are my high days. Um, in terms of outputs Friday, obviously being a little bit higher on the high side, um, you know, and then I'm really going back and forth on what I want to do on Monday and Thursday. And just being completely honest, you know, that's going to be more accessories and that's going to maybe be a dumbbell bench, a one arm press, a suitcase carry. Oh God, I said it, some core work. I mean, I, one thing I had like laughed at myself and I kind of grew, I, my first entry in the field was like the, the Boyle McGill, like the whole, you know, core stabilization, like, well, I do sit-ups with our athletes now. Like I'm mad that I, like, I do a weighted sit-up. Like I'm not against that. I want to try to get them to do a hanging knee tucks. Like I am 100% in on doing direct core work. And I went away from that and only did stabilization junk. Like, so a lot of that stuff is going to come in on Mondays and Thursdays. And that's more of a, I wouldn't say it's true low. It's more of a medium. I mean, I think the low really comes from, and even I struggle with tempos. Maybe I just wasn't implementing. I mean, low a lot of people hear low and they think like super low intensity. There's definitely some work being done, some capacity work. So I think anything crawling, carrying, you know, if I'm with the right athletes, we could, we could get up. We have five echo bikes. You know, if I really felt like they needed some extra work, you know, in, in the soccer world, that's going to be my tempo days. When I train women's soccer, those were tempo days. If I'm training them four days a week, they're going to run. I mean, a lot of the soccer girls I was with at Southern Miss didn't get enough playing in the off season. So I ran them. I mean, you know, you're going to run a lot in the sport. You can't avoid it. But for basketball, that might mean bike. That might mean, you know, a dumbbell bench, you know, some reverse lunges, something definitely lower on the output side. But those are going to be more my lower medium days. So Monday and uh, Thursday would be my medium days. And then Tuesday and Friday, high days. And again, we, we touched that. The, the hardest part would be getting the coaches to really organize their, um, you know, framework on that. And that's 100% more important than the weight room. See, we do such a good job organizing our weight room. Logical. I think anybody would agree that that's, that makes sense. You know, you got 48 hours, 72 hours between high stress activities, but that's complete junk. If the coaches just kill them for their four sessions, like who cares what you're doing? That's, you know what I mean? That's the lens. So. Hopefully that paints a clear picture. If you got anything I need to touch on, I can definitely go back through. No, that's, that was perfect. That's uh, that's why I just wanted to kind of clarify how you kind of go throughout the week. And then the last thing you touched on is going to lead, you know, kind of segue into my next point. Um, the idea that obviously regardless of what you're doing and how organized you are in the weight room, if that main stressor of obviously sport practice or whatever the case may be on the court, on the field, ice, whatever it is, it, you know, is obviously taking up the bulk of the time. And that's where mo most of the load is coming from then obviously there needs to be something considered when we're taking a look at the way the strength 
and conditioning as a department and as a field is evaluated. And the same would obviously work for sport coaches and, you know, the, the sports medicine staff. And, um, and I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, completely just, bang on the system here, but, um, I, I do think they're, they're, we're, we're kind of working in a little bit of a fractured society. Well, let's be honest. I mean, it's completely fractured. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, sit here and, um, you know, beat around the bush. There's a situation, right. Where, um, you know, you come across, you know, conversations, whether it be athletic directors or people who are obviously in charge of providing the system or the criteria, for how people are going to get evaluated in our field. So based off of what you just said right now, we kind of move into this world where we just want to kind of talk about, and you got to kind of go back and forth on this, but the, you know, experiences that you had in the collegiate world. And obviously I've had some as well. And kind of the differences between that and obviously high school and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, when, when you really take a look at how we're evaluated as professionals, as, you know, specialists, right. In my opinion, we're kind of just all movement coaches at the end of the day. And we need to figure out a way to kind of, you know, just basically we have like specific specializations when it comes to that movement, right. We try to like bucket them and categorize them. But at the end of the day, like everybody in the building is trying to get the athletes to move better, just, you know, depending on the tools you're using. Right. So if that is the case, um, you know, I, I'll give a specific instance, right. When we talk about, the evaluations and a lot of evaluations will come from very vague categories like injuries and performance. Right. And we've, we've used, we've heard these a zillion times, right. Athletic directors, system ADs, whatever they'll say like, yeah, um, we're evaluating the strength and conditioning staff off of, you know, performance and outputs. And um, I don't even think they use the word outputs, but it's like performance and, and injuries. Right. And so obviously injuries, that's a, that's a pretty deep hole to go down and just, just using the word injury in itself is super vague. Right. So to give an example, it's like, well, okay. Say you are part of a football program that has a poor offensive line. This is the example I gave you yesterday. Right. And you have a running back who you've gone through all of your off season training. And obviously they, you know, feel that they are resilient and robust and prepared to play the sport right but every single time that that running back gets tackled he's not only getting tackled by one defender he's getting tackled by two defenders one who's going to lock him up and the other one is going to have his way with him right and now this could be due to a bad offensive line poor schemes whatever the case like whatever reasons you want to come up with as to why like the and that's the problem like the variables are all over the place right but that is a specific scenario i said well okay so say he rolls his ankle because every time he gets tackled he's getting tackled by two defenders where, do, like, how does that really work itself out in the space that we work in? So what is it now? Like, okay, well, you, you know, he's got a high ankle or, you know, something happened to his knee. So now it's like, get him in the weight room. We got to do a zillion TKEs. Uh, you know, like the example we talked about yesterday, right? Like, like what, what, like, you know, it's like, okay, so now the strength and conditioning coach, like you need to justify your compensation. So make sure you do more and more and more in order to prevent this from ever happening again. Um, and then obviously your sports medicine staff. So we, we all view athletic training and just rehab and prehab as these really, you know, low intensity outputs, but let's be honest, like stress is stress at some point or another, you do enough of anything. It's obviously going to, regardless of whether it's low mechanical or high mechanical, it's going to be stress. Right. So I guess what, uh, you know, when it comes back to is you made a great point. I think it was a year ago or whatever. When we first talked, you talked about how strength and conditioning has pigeonholed itself into this really dark corner where we have basically told ourselves and told other people and marketed ourselves as the reason why you know, injuries will not happen, or we can potentially even, you know, reduce the impact Right? you see like over the years, instead of saying like we prevent injuries, it's like, now we reduce the likelihood of injuries. And it's like, we try to create an environment where maybe they won't get injured as much, right? Like it just constantly changes and changes, changes because I think everyone's realizing that when you have a sport coach, who's unorganized in what he does, and you're obviously the bulk of the load is coming from the practice that's taking place throughout the week. And then you have 
a strength coach or whatever the case may be, it's like, oh yeah, we're going to have this one department do things that are, are so unrelated to the sport. And yeah, we're going to rely on that as our reasons for injury protection once it comes, you know, to that within the sport. So I think you know, if you kind of just talk your thoughts about, uh, you know, what, what we've done as an industry by sort of pigeonholing ourselves and, and claiming that we, if you train with us, you won't get injured as much, right? Because now it's like, anytime someone gets injured, it's like, well, it must be the strength and conditioning coach's fault, right? And I just, as I just outlined, that's that one scenario about the running back rolling his ankle, whatever the case may be. There was a zillion of those examples, right? There's a zillion different rabbit holes that we can go down of things that have taken place like on the court or on the field or whatever the case may be that are due to some sort of technical breakdown, some sort of psychological effect, right? Like what are the, you know, we get filtered all the way through, right? Um, and, and I think, you know, that that's the other and Then the other side is this performance aspect. It's like, well, what what are we classifying as performance? If it's solely just winning games. OK, you know, but, but like I would imagine that I would hope that the, the, the minds at these levels would be able to have a deeper conversation. Right. And the depth of conversation needed to actually truly assess, um, you know, what classifies performance. Right. What classifies increasing in outputs? And are these things actually transferable, relatable to anything that's taking place on the field? Because if that's not the case and we're not having some sort of impact on that sport outcome then I don't, I don't really know like where we fall in that performance category. Right. So this is where like the five to 10%, I guess to kind of like bring this all up as I pose this question to you and I'll let you go this five, five to 10%, we're trying to turn it into the 20 to 30 for our audience as we sort of round about this podcast, right. Round out this podcast. Um, talk about your thoughts on what strength and conditioning has done by pigeonholing itself. And then obviously what we can potentially do to get ourselves out of this five to 10% lens that we, you and I both agree would probably live in and maybe into the more of that 20 to 30% range. Yeah. First off, phenomenal point. I love the ankle analogy. And what I love about that is it's a complex problem and you're not providing a simple answer. And whenever we started pigeonholing ourselves and I don't know who was the plan. I mean, there's obviously multiple factors that could play into that, but that was a really bad spot. And we've put ourselves in a bad spot because I've experienced it. I mean, I've gotten blamed for injuries. I've heard athletic trainers. These are people at division one level. I've heard administrators, you know, saying those same that you said, you know, well, we're going to evaluate this new strength coach, you know, based on how many injuries they have. I mean, it's, it's almost like there's a comfort and a simple answer. And it goes back to the, they're in elementary school. And I, it sounds like we're arrogant pricks, but like we've understood performance on a higher level. Most strength coaches do like, we see it better than the sport coach lens. Like we understand performance at more of a PhD level. Like, they're down here in the simple answer world. And it's the same topic I've talked about with young strength coaches. When you're a young strength coach, you have a simple answer for complex problems. When I think you have a young education elementary school, you think that you can just provide simple answers to complex problems. I mean, how many points did you just touch on that could lead to an ankle injury? And it just, it's like a, it's a level of education and understanding of a complex issue. And you want to just blame a strength coach. It's like, it, it, there's, it's comforting. Like we can just, Oh, we'll just get rid of him. Like, Oh, that's that, his fault. And we touched on, you touched on it yesterday with the, I think it's, it's the Kara calculated athlete related activities, like the Kara hours or like the yeah. logs that coaches have to fill out. Like how many, um, hours they spend, you know, a week, what is like, I think in basketball, it's the 20 hour work week. It's so like me thinking in season. Okay. I've been blamed for, you know, our guys not being big enough, strong enough, whatever. Like, you know, I've heard other strength, but this is whatever. And we get it. They're under pressure. So sometimes they air it out on us. And I've heard plenty of stories of strength coaches being blamed for why our guys aren't reaction time or agility, which we've all pigeonholed ourselves in because it's some guy comes in an interview all hyped up, you know, wants the job and he just says a bunch of stuff. And then the sport coaches and administrators start believing it. I think that's part of it. We're, we've caused this ourselves, right? Because who's going to talk bad about themselves when they're in an interview? If you want the job, you're going to say stuff and you probably will regret it on the back end. But if you break down like those care logs, like I'm thinking in season division one basketball, 
I mean, shoot with me in season, I'm short, like maybe two thirty to 45 minute wait sessions. So like you're looking at maybe an hour to hour, 15 minutes, you know, the other 18 minutes or 18 hours on the log is tied up in practice. So let's do math. One divided by 20 versus 19 divided by 20. Which one is a larger percentage of the bucket? Like, and, but again, maybe it's, they don't even understand the whole general adaptation, the stress, you know, maybe that's just like complex phenomena for them. Cause like, if you're using simple math, you can see like, wow, like that's way bigger. This one's way smaller. Like we should probably look at this area first and that's the sport practice. So getting right to the point, you know, we're, if, if you believe you're in the five to 10% realm, which we do, you and I believe, and I think there's plenty of other strength coaches that do. There's other ones that don't, and that's fine. They're lost, they'll, they'll, they'll get to the spot. I really believe they will. Like, I think part of it is once they l- remove their emotional bias to weights, like they realize that it's because it's you love it so much, like and it's helped your life so much. But if you're a natural, it really hasn't done a whole lot for you. So that's why they don't relate to you well. Um, you know, but we, 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 this comes from a good spot. We want the best for the athletes. And that's why we're having a conversation like this. Like we want what's best for them. And we see performance in the physical realm, strength development, speed development, part of them is five to 10%. But we want to help the athletes. So we know their goal is to win a, a five on five basketball game. Let's use basketball. How do we, you know, stake out more ground? We're in the five to 10% realm. Well, we got to stake out some more ground. And I touched on it. I think the number one way is that it starts with the relationship with the sport coach. And that's tricky. You know, if, if they're in elementary school and you're a PhD school, like it's, how do you level it out? I wish I'm, that, that's a complex issue and I'm not going to provide a simple answer, but I think it starts with the relationship and getting them to somewhat organized stressors. I mean, I don't think it's crazy to like break down because most coaches are going to at least have a weekly breakdown or their ops person is going to break down the weekly. I mean, think of like the breakdown in a football practice. I mean, I'm, I'm not a big understanding of the divisional football practice, but like they had the periods like it's super detailed and broken down. Like, can't we just, you know, put that thing on the bottom high day, low day. I mean, like simple, like the high, low, I love it. And I'm, I'm biased to it, but I'm telling you like, high, low or get out. Like that is the model that can work. Like, I really believe it can work. Like that is where the gold is. And with basketball, the high, low, I mean, I could be wrong, but I'm generally, there was like two high intensity days a week, right? Is the general high, low model. I mean, I know you could be low, but like if I'm programming high model, I'm thinking two high days a week and maybe two low days and the rest of the days are off. Um, and it's basketball. You, you play two games a week generally and play most intense two conference games a week. Everybody wants to win conference games for basketball. So you're playing two games a week. You already, you have, you know, the conference play is going to start in January. Work backwards from January. So like, I don't think it's crazy to, to start these conversations with coaches, but it's difficult if you're a strength coach, because first off, you need to do a good job in your realm. I mean, you can't just be a terrible strength coach. Like, and I hope like people probably look at us, you know, cause we kind of challenge the field and Jake, you know, we, I was on a podcast and then we challenge the field. They probably think we're just terrible strength coaches, but like, no BS. Like come watch me. Like I can handle myself in the weight room, but like as other coaches, it's kind of easy. It's not that hard. You know, once you have a grasp of it, it's really easy. And when you see it through our lens, you don't get, you don't like worry about dumb stuff like your fancy Excel spreadsheet or, you know, crazy, you know, periodization schemes. Cause you just see it through, like you're, you're more comfortable and confident. You're not insecure and tight. Um, but I think it starts with doing a good job in your realm and then, you know, obviously developing that relationship with the sport coach, but the ops, and I, I, you've mentioned this to me, is it Fergus Conley's book that they, they talk about how important the ops position is? Uh, I haven't read it, but I, I think someone brought it up to me. Like that is such an important position. It blew my yeah. mind. 
in division one basketball and football has it too. I mean, that position is critical. Like the organization, we need to try to get up into that realm. You know, I think if we could somehow snag that second role, but first off, do a good job, stake out your area. You're good in the weight room. You know, the kids relate to you. You're doing a good job there. Develop a relationship. Like it can't happen fast. And that's what I'm trying to say. Like nobody listening to this. Don't go up to your sport coach and start talking about weekly organization. Like coach, you should put five on five in these days. And then the tricky part is you should really know the sport. It's easy for me. I played basketball. I was fortunate to be part of a program where we did do lots of five on five, lots of full grid work. Like coach Stanley and coach Jermark didn't do at, at Stevens point. We did not do a bunch of garbage. I think sport coaches get, you know, into that, that, that realm where they're doing a bunch of garbage with those 19 hours a week. Like, how are you using those 19 hours? Is it to prepare for five on five or is it dribbling a basketball and throwing a tennis ball or, you know, doing some like crazy, like I'm going to do 16 dribbles and then, you know, break down three cones and shoot a jump shot. Like, what's like the goal is five and five and that's the kid's goal. So how do we begin to have these conversations and get to that level? Cause we really want the best for the kids. You want it. I want it guys that see performance. We want what's best for the kids. And that to me is the elephant in the room is better organization practice. Cause that is the main stressor. Five on five is what drives the bus for college basketball. That needs to be implemented in a very progressively overloaded format, which strength coaches can help the sport coach. They can guide them. But I'm be honest, I'm impatient. I just don't think it's, I don't, I don't know. I, I just, I don't want to say that it's, it's, it can just happen. Um, I, th- I feel like I just need to take the leap and try to start coaching a basketball team and then get my, you know, like it's easy to talk about it too. I mean, I don't want to be the guy that's in here saying I got all the answers. This is complicated yeah. stuff, but it is, it is complicated. I think more ground. Yeah, I, I think that I think the thing that's complicated. Uh, one, I was talking to one of my buddies, uh, JD Melhorn, uh, Georgia State, a couple of days ago, and he's like, "Well, yeah." He's like, "Now we're kind of in an interesting spot too, because it's like as strength coaches, where you know some of us are sitting here talking about and kind of criticizing like people who think that like our role is outside of this five to ten percent lens." And it's like, well, like you said, like in an interview, what are you going to say? It's like, well, I'm going to come in and I'm going to try to basically increase, you know, your resilience and robustness through five five to ten percent, and you know, you know, handle some output stuff. And and then you know, and, and I guess, and he's like, but at the same time, we're also criticizing the industry and saying that we don't have you know quality compensation and our work life balance is terrible and all that kind of stuff. It's like, so it's like, which kind of like, be careful what you wish for. It's like, well, if you want to express these people, it's like, hey, listen like guys like don't be so like caught up in this stuff like we need to kind of move into a realm where we have a little bit more of an influence and in organizing stress for practice some of the main stressors right but at the same time it's like you're also saying yeah but we want to get paid more and we want to be able to have a better life and a better work-life balance and all this stuff and just be treated better but it's like we're also saying that you know the, the, again like you're living in the five ten percent world so it is a little bit challenging i guess my 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 combat to that was that I was like, well, yeah, let's get to a point then where we're actually providing more value then, you know what I mean? But it's, again, that probably can't happen until you're in a system where people realize what value can be provided, right? Like how do you convince somebody that they have a problem or they have, you have a solution to a problem they don't even know they have, right? Like that was kind of my big thing with like creating a market where it's like you have these sport co- or strength coaches who are working and serving like consultants as consultants to maybe even like high school, you know, programs where it's like, Hey, like we're going to come in. We're just going to kind of like talk to you guys about like better ways to like, you know, create some synergy between your athletic trainers and sport coaches and your strength coaches and um, you know, some of the other people. And then so like, it's like, well, is there a market for that? Like who's paying for that? Because like, honestly, if I'm an athletic director at a high school level and I'm thinking to myself, like, what's this dude talking about? Like, why do we even need that? Like, what's, what do you mean? Like, you know what I mean? It's like, we all think that this is like a glaring issue and it's so obvious, but let's be honest. Like, how many people actually really understand? Or like, not, like, they don't know. You know what I mean? It's just like, what do you mean? Like, I don't think I, we even have that problem. And the worst part is, let's be honest. Like, 
you could probably win. You could definitely win with all, without all that stuff. I think that's the most dangerous part, right? Even at the highest level, especially at the highest level, right? Like, you know, you get enough talent, it's like you can win in spite of anything. So, you know, I think a lot of places have kind of come to, and that was kind of what hit me when I was, you know, working in college. It's like, oh, so like all these things that like I care about and I think that we should actually utilize in order to turn some of these things around. It's like, the administration, not only do they not really see it as a problem or think that it's that important, they don't care because they know they don't need to care. They know that there are other quicker ways to get the victory that they're looking for. And I say, I use the term victory in terms of like having a season long success, maybe going to a bowl game or whatever the case may be. And there are some shortcuts that you can take along the way. And I mean, given the turnover and the demand from the sport, obviously of football and any other, you know, these major sports, like, obviously you're going to take the shorter route, you know, despite the integrity that it compromised along the way. So, um, yeah, not to go off on a, you know, soapbox there, but we got, you know, a, a couple minutes left. So if you got like any, you know, final thoughts or anything like that, you know, feel free, obviously this is, this is your deal here. Um, and then at the end, if you want to just kind of give people, you know, a little bit of, a um, access to like your, your Twitter, email, uh, you know, Instagram, like wherever they can find you, some of your stuff, whatever, whatever you want to plug, that that would be the time to do it. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I'll sum it up, you know, from a training standpoint, we obviously guys like you and I see performance, physical performance through the five, 10% lens. I think that's a great point how you touched on. We're passionate about taking out a stake in the, you know, the sport coaching organization practice, but how do you, this is a question I can pose to everyone. How do you do that when the, the program's successful and they don't even see the problem? Like, and I think I'm trying to like, it comes back to we're maximizers. Most strength coaches were, you know, played at lower levels. Most coaches played at lower levels. And I think this is just a theme of coaching why we struggle to understand other athletes. And because every coach has issues with athletes because coaches that or people that become coaches were usually maximizers, right? We maximized our talent. We squeezed the orange as much as we could. So that's just natural as us strength coaches, we're squeezing the orange as much as we can. And like, they're going to look at us like we're crazy. We come in the room, like, what are you talking about, Alex? Like, we just won a conference championship. And it's funny because we know it, the highest program, we don't need to call them out. I mean, they got Ferraris and they're putting the worst diesel fuel, like crude oil in there. And they're just still getting it done. Like we, we know that's happening. And how like they're gonna laugh you know i mean can you imagine like they just like scoff if someone came in who's this guy like you know how many titles i've won and i think that's that's a really great point like of that's the complexity of this and again like we don't provide like i challenge young strength coaches don't provide simple answers i challenge athletic trainers like it's people in any realm like know when to intervene and this is you touched on this in the beginning like this topic of intervening like as strength coaches as athletic trainers as physios i mean as coaches like we all you know have a duty but like i think growth in our profession is when you know when not to say anything like sometimes what i quote i mean obviously the best coaching is not saying anything at all like when to intervene when you're young as a strength coach or young as that you you have simple answers and that's where you're just you're so quick to intervene and I just always challenge like the thought in my head, like do basketball players really need strength and conditioning? I mean, if you just have one coach that knows a little bit about PE, you touch that, just we're movers. I mean, we, we get so dialed into these, you know, squats, safety bars, let's go out. I'm guilty of it too. Like look at my progression. It's on my Instagram. I have it all detailed out. Like where we love that stuff. But like, if it's just simple movement and calisthenics, like that might get the job done, you know? And then this is where the emotional bias is just hitting hard for those people listening. Like, they're just like, no, like we make an impact, but like, 
I think you got to be able to zoom out and just ask the like, question yourself. Like sometimes the, the best challenge is question yourself, young strength coaches. Like, should I intervene? Like, am I providing simple answers to complex problems? Like, am I trying to get someone to love something that I love? Like, how much do they need? You know, where can we provide value? And the value, I'm, I'm just at the point is it's the most influence you have is the largest part of the pie, which is the sport coach. It's a pyramid, right? It's at the top. So either people like us need to just go off and get a high school team and start learning ourselves, or, you know, you just you need to really grind and develop a relationship and just slowly start the education process. But you got to be warned. That's a very tricky, windy road. Like you don't want to step on people's toes. Cause like I said, if they're winning and they're successful, they're not going to listen to you. Like that's just the, the, tra- the tradition fallacy. Well, we've always done it here. Like they're not going to listen to a new way. And it's understanding the perspective. We're just maximizers, coaches in general, not even strength, coaches are maximizers. They are probably a try hard and they maximize their talent. They struggle at understanding people that don't maximize or that don't want to maximize. And Again, it comes from a good spot. You, we're having this conversation because we want to maximize what's best for the kids. And I hope athletes, no they listen or they see us. Like, we want what's best for them. Like, we're just, we're literally just splitting hairs here. We're just like, can we do a little bit better? But like, that's the competitive side. You, I know you're a competitor. I'm a freaking competitor. Like, to this day, like, I want what's best for my athletes. And I know if I can stake out a little realm in the sport coach world, um, we, we can accomplish that. So I, I want to finish on that, that like we, I do want what's best for basketball players because I wanted that, you know what I mean? Like if I go back, like I would want to have the best plan, right? Like when someone talks like, and it's really, you got to be a competitive person. Like if you're not competitive, then this isn't for you. But I mean, if I'm a basketball player at back at Stevens point in 2011, when I started, like I would love to have someone come in and lay out this plan. Like this is the most efficient way. Like I don't want the the seventy five percent efficient way. Like I'm a detailed person. I want the best of the best way to get ready for five on five basketball. And if someone's going to present it to me, I want to do it. And as as most athletes would say, I mean, who doesn't want it? If they want to win, they're they're going to want to take the path of least resistance. And that's what we're just splitting hairs about right here. And I think that's where our field needs to go. Like get off the, the bilateral, unilateral, the categories, you know, Oh, we're doing this loading scheme. Like that one's stupid. Like stop. Like that's just, you're even splitting tinier hairs there. Like let's, let's start to tackle the round. That's why I'm so grateful guys like you and Jake and there's people in our field. I mean, I'm missing a ton of them that are starting to challenge that realm and in question, you know, this like, college strength conditioning like this is this is goofy like this isn't right because we need more people to come out because it's it's going to help the younger coaches so um, really want to finish on that but we we want to help the kids and we want what's best for them we want the most efficient path and that's why we're having this conversation yeah no doubt no doubt yeah so we'll we'll end it on that we're around a little, little over an hour and I, that was awesome i really appreciate it alex obviously I, I i appreciate you coming on here taking the time to do this obviously you're you know at prep school right now and i know it's you know probably a super busy time but um these are really important facts and uh, are just you know i guess really important opinions that you know hopefully people will view as as you know truthful just us being honest and obviously it comes from a good place like you said um we want the best for these athletes and we do want to you know obviously there's a deep drive and a deep passion to see the world of sport performance get you know headed in the right direction and um right now i i think there's you know and oftentimes it's it's a sort of like a roller coaster and sort of a mystery as to what direction it actually is heading in but um yeah again appreciate your time um if you want to just give people you know places they can contact you or check you out and then uh yeah we'll, we'll wrap up there yeah absolutely I, i'm only i'm not a big social i'm on instagram coach alex richard um i love talking with like-minded people so i mean if you want to follow send a message 
I mean, I can, you, you and I can have more of the same. We can talk about the stuff. We just get uh, like just engulfed in it. We can talk about it for hours. So if there's someone like minded that wants to talk about these topics or present challenges, I love talking about performance. I mean, obviously yeah. I have a passion for it. So reach out. Like I'm not like, a, I mean, I'll talk to anybody about this stuff. So yeah. that's, that's the only place I am. But again, thanks for having me on Ant. Uh, it was a great talk and let's do it again. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Sounds great. Thanks a lot, Alex. That's uh, it's the end of the podcast here. Thanks for your time, folks. We'll, uh, I'll, I'll talk to you in a little bit, Alex.